Well, last week we started our new series called Vital Signs. Uh, Because of the ever-changing values in our culture, we believe that it's crucial that we ground ourselves in God's word. Throughout the fall, we're going to be doing this by looking at the Ten Commandments because we consider them vital to uh, being faithful followers of Jesus. We believe the commandments can be vital signs to determine how our walk with him is going and can help us see how we're being influenced, whether it's by God or the world around us. Every summer at summer camp, uh, there's campers that love to go to the coffee shop to get a coffee. So something happens almost without fail every single time we go. Every year there's a few students that come running to me around 10 o'clock at night, just hyperactive, eyes wide. Brett, Brett, you're not going to believe what I just did. What'd you do? I just drank three caramel macchiatos in the last five minutes. And they're like, I don't think we're going to be able to fall asleep. I'm too hyper. And uh, I always smile when they do this because little do they know that it's all decaf. So although there's a lot of sugar in those drinks, that they're not getting what they think they're getting. Much of their energy and excitement is due to a placebo effect. In the medical field, a placebo effect is anything that seems uh, to be a real medical treatment, but isn't. It could be a pill, it could be a shot, or some other type of fake treatment. What all placebos have in common are that they do not contain any active substance that's meant to heal anything. Today we're going to be looking at a commandment that's meant to keep us from falling and taking, falling for and taking the placebo of idolatry. Our scripture for today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And our scripture reader for this week is Kathy Steinmetz. And so if everyone who is able could please stand up for the reading of God's word, we'd love to have you do that. It will be a longer passage, so if you feel like that might be a struggle, feel free to stay down today. Uh, we read from the center of the, word to, uh, of the room to remind us of the centrality of God's word in our lives. So Kathy, whenever you're ready, go ahead. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. 
No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and the goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Thank you, Kathy. You can all be seated, please. The second commandment states that we are not to make, worship, or bow down to any idols or graven images. Today's commandment ties in very closely with what we learned last week. Last week, Pastor Chuck talked about the first commandment, which was worshiping no other gods before the one true God. Both commands revolve around the prohibiting of worshiping other gods. But the big difference between the first and second commandment is that the first commandment has to do with the object of our worship. And the second commandment has to do with the method of our worship. One of the primary ways uh, that people would worship the gods, uh, the other gods, was through worshiping idols and images that depicted them. Idols could vary in size and were usually made out of wood, stone, or metal. Both idols and graven images were worshipped because it was believed that within the item, the god represented resided. The different pagan gods that would be worshipped usually ruled over or controlled a certain component or aspect of life. Maybe fertility, health, agriculture, war, or weather. In order to appease or get what was wanted from the gods, people were required to give them their worship. But embracing a life of idolatry had had a never-ending problem attached with it. No matter how much somebody worshipped, no matter what they did, the gods were never satisfied. Those devoted to serving and worshipping other gods, to worshipping idols, would never be worthy enough and would always have to give more. They were in a continuous pursuit of fulfillment, thinking that the gods could give them whatever they needed if they just gave a little more. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Having to devote our lives to something. What we give never being enough. Constantly trying to find something to fulfill us. In the Old Testament, gods were worshipped using idols and graven images. But today, idolatry is just as, if not more, prevalent. The biggest difference is that they're subtle. And they're insidious. The gods we worship are usually rooted in something we value, something that is good. 
And their idols are typically not created specifically for the worship of that thing. Some of the modern day gods we find ourselves worshiping are the God of success, the God of technology, money, sports, comfort, recreation, vanity, social justice, politics, and of course the God of me. And our idols become the things that we invest in or spend time in that place our devotion on that God. Our constant use and obsession with these idols becomes our method of worshiping. Our nice homes and cars can become idols for the God of success. Our iPads, TVs, and computers for the gods of technology. Our credit cards or the properties that we own for the God of money. Our lazy boy, hot tub, king-size bed for the God of comfort. And our campers, speedboats, cabins, guns, skis, whatever it is we do for fun, those can become idols for the God of recreation. I'm not saying that all these things are bad things. I, I do or use a lot of those things. But what makes them dangerous is they start out as a good thing and they transform over time to an item that steals our devotion from God to God. The second commandment not only gives us instruction but also communicates God's strong dislike for idolatry. A question to ask ourselves is what are some modern day gods you can find yourself worshiping? What are your modern day idols you use to worship those gods? As God uh, explains his big issue with idolatry, in verse 5, he states that he is a jealous God. But being jealous or zealous shouldn't be understood with the misconception that God is naturally suspicious or distrustful or even envious of others. That's not who he is. God being jealous communicates his demand for exclusive devotion. And it expresses his anger against anyone or anything that takes that devotion away from him. Because he's a jealous God, it says that he will punish the children uh, for the sins of the fathers for three to four generations. For those who hate him. In that time, uh, three to four generations was what was common to live in one household. So what is kind of being said right there is that, listen... If you practice idolatry, your entire household is going to feel the consequences of this. It's not saying that the children of idolaters will be held accountable for the sin of their fathers and mothers. Each person will account for their own sin. What it's saying is that the results of their parents' sin would directly and indirectly punish them as they live their lives. It's similar to how children of alcoholic or abusive parents punish their children through the consequences of their sin. And if they fall in the ways of their parents, there's a continued punishment generation after generation that can potentially happen. The sins of the father impact the lives of the children. The command finishes with communicating that those who show love for God and keep his commands will be shown love for thousands of generations. In this command, it's easy to focus on the bad part, the thing we're not to do, but God's 
tells us that if you love him, if you keep his commands, great things will happen for your family. Exponentially greater than what happens with idolatry. And if there's exponentially greater things that come from loving God and keeping his commands, what is it about idolatry that draws us in? That makes us always succumb to it? We're going to address this question by exploring our second passage that we read from. The passage in Jeremiah 10. In this passage, the prophet Jeremiah exposes idols for what they are. And he points us towards the reality of who God is. In verse 2, he warns his people not to learn the ways of the nations. This is so often how we find ourselves getting into idolatry. We just inadvertently start doing what everyone around us is doing. It's much like watching a football game with our friends and being full of buffalo wings and jalapeno poppers. But we still find ourselves reaching our hand into the chips and salsa, even though we're completely full, because it's there, and everyone else is doing it. Jeremiah spends the first half of our passage trying to expose and discredit idols. He calls them worthless, made by man. He likens them to scarecrows that are lifeless, an, a being that cannot even speak. He says there's no reason to find fear in them because they can't do any good and they can't do any harm. He's sending the message that idols are nothing more than material objects with zero power. But that's not always how we experience idols, is it? When we worship the God of money using our idol of the credit card, do we not find ourselves able to purchase things we were never able to purchase before? When we worship the God of recreation with our brand new boat on the river, do we not find ourselves filled with fun memories and tons of laughter? When we worship the God of me with our smartphones, by making posts on social media, do we not feel more admired, more valued, when we gain more followers, when we get likes, when people comment on what we do? We inadvertently fall into idolatry because we experience a false sense of fulfillment. These idols and gods that we worship may provide us with brief enjoyment, instant results, or temporary satisfaction. But they always have a shelf life. They're always temporary. And when we give into idolatry, we start to confuse what we need in our lives to find fulfillment with what we want in our lives to find fulfillment. But the reality is, is that there's only one way we'll ever experience true fulfillment, and that's through living a life devoted to worshiping the one true God. A life where a commitment is made to believe in and follow Jesus. The fulfillment we experience when we do this is not just for this moment. It's not just for this week, this year, or even the rest of our lives. It's eternal. Eternal fulfillment. As we engage with the second half of our Jeremiah 10 passage, verses 6 through 11, communicate who God is. Jeremiah proclaims that God is the one true and living God that is eternal, that will never perish. 
unlike the idols that we find ourselves often falling to today. Instead of not being able to do anything good or harmful, he is great in power, he is great in authority and wisdom. And when he gets angry, he's capable of making the entire earth shake and tremble. There's a huge contrast between Jeremiah's description of an idol and his description of God. Jeremiah is reminding his people about who God is and pushing them to recognize the emptiness that's found when we put our faith in worthless objects. It seems like a no-brainer on who we should be giving our worship to. So why is it we have such a hard time choosing between our idols and the God of the universe? Many times we fall into idolatry simply because we forget who God is. We have a forgotten faith in what he's capable of doing. We choose to quit reading our Bible or go to church or quit spending time in prayer. And over the course of time, the temporary gods and idols of our day seem like they have way more power than they really do because God feels so distant from us. When we devote our lives to idols, we will never be fulfilled. We will never be found worthy and we will never be able to appease the false gods that we put our worship towards. But because the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything, when we worship and follow the son of the one true God, we are found worthy because of what Jesus did for us. And what Jesus does within us. We see this truth communicated to us in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are worthy through Christ in us. When we live a life of worshiping idols, we will never be fulfilled. When we worship idols, we are never worthy, we are never satisfied. But we can find worth and fulfillment in Christ. God commands us to steer clear of idolatry because it creates a placebo effect for our worth and fulfillment. He doesn't want our worship to go towards something that isn't worthy, something that's empty or lifeless. His longing is for an exclusive devotion to him because he knows he's the only one capable of providing those things to our lives. He's the only one capable of giving us everlasting worth, everlasting fulfillment, and everlasting life. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the truth that your word communicates. And God, we, we ask and we plead, if, if there are idols that we've put before you, that we tear them down, God, that we destroy them, that, that we make you bigger. God, help us devote our lives to you and allow for us to find fulfillment, to find worthiness through your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week.